Section 42 of the South American Republics, Volume 1, by Thomas Cleland Dawson. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Piotr Nater. Part 4. Brazil. Chapter 19. The Paraguayan War. Brazilian statesmen might well have been pardoned if, in 1865, they had claimed for their country the hegemony of South America. The result of the war against Rosas had been brilliant. The Argentine had only just emerged from half a century of civil war. Uruguay was almost a Brazilian protectorate. Brazil's internal condition was settled. In concentration of power, as well as in wealth, population, and extent, she was at the head of the continent. With the republics on the west she maintained good relations, while all the time she was firmly pressing her territorial claims on toward the foot of the Andes. She even attempted to control the navigation of the great waterways of South America. In 1863, Flores, a defeated chief, returned from Buenos Aires and set up the standard of revolt in Uruguay. Penetrating as far as the Brazilian border, he received assistance, and Aguirre, the Montevidian president, protested. At the same time, the latter ruler refused to settle certain claims on behalf of Brazilian citizens, which the Rio government had been pressing. The emperor decided to intervene and help Flores, and thereupon sent a man of war up the Uruguay River, which blockaded a port and destroyed Uruguayan public property. Aguirre declared war, and Brazil and Flores, in alliance, besieged and took the principal towns in western Uruguay. The Argentine received satisfactory assurances and remained neutral. This high-handed adjustment of Uruguayan affairs furnished a pretext to the Paraguayan dictator, Francisco López, to intervene in his turn. Under a line of vigorous dictators who concentrated all the forces of the nation into their own hands, that country had become menacing to the loosely organized Argentine Republic. López even thought he was strong enough to bid defiance to Brazil. The tyrant was, in fact, an impossible neighbor for the two more progressive and civilized powers. For years he had been preparing for war, and at the moment was stronger in the military way than either of his bulky neighbors. He hated both Argentines and Brazilians, and his people had been taught to despise the courage of the latter. Though Brazil's intervention in Uruguay was a matter in which he had an interest, a dignified protest would have obtained ample assurances that the latter's independence would be respected, for there is no evidence that the imperial government intended to do anything more than to replace its enemy Aguirre with the friendly Flores. But the arrogant tyrant wanted to draw the world's attention to himself. He appreciated how difficult it would be for Brazil to send an army against him, and how much more difficult it would be to maintain one and he also knew that she was unprepared to take a serious war on foreign soil. Without any declaration of war, in the fall of 1864, he seized a Brazilian steamer, which was making its regular trip up the Paraguay River to Mato Grosso. The crew were imprisoned, and only the intervention of the American minister saved the lives of the Brazilian minister and his family. This outrage left Brazil no alternative. López followed up the seizure of the boat by an expedition up the Paraguay River against Mato Grosso, and easily conquered the principal southern settlements in that province. The geographical position of the Argentine made her attitude of decisive importance to both belligerents. 
Uruguay and the southern provinces of Brazil were separated from Paraguay by the Argentine provinces of Corrientes and the Misiones. Argentina had favoured Flores's pretensions, and Lopez was so obnoxious that the secret sympathies of Buenos Aires were with Brazil. Further than neutrality, Mitre, then president of Argentina, would not go. He declared that no permission would be given either belligerent to cross Argentine territory with troops. Lopez was made desperately angry at this refusal. He thought he could count on the alliance and support of Urquiza, the virtually independent ruler of the province of Entre Rios and Mitre's enemy, and seems to have believed that he might as well finish up with both Argentina and Brazil at one sitting. In March 1865, he deliberately declared war on the Argentine, and 18,000 Paraguayan troops crossed the Paraná and began offensive operations against Corrientes, Uruguay, and Brazil. Instead of rising against Mitre, Urquiza declared himself against the Paraguayan dictator, and as his province of Entre Rios controlled access to Paraguay by water, Lopez found that the only result of his rash act was to open up the way by which his enemies could most conveniently reach him. On the 1st of May, 1865, a formal alliance was made between Brazil, Argentina, and Uruguay. Mitre was agreed upon as commander-in-chief. The Allies promised not to lay down their arms until Lopez should be overthrown and expelled from Paraguay, and pledges were given to respect Paraguay's independence. Of the three Allies, Brazil was the only one which could be expected to give its whole force. Flores could only answer for the Colorado faction of Uruguay. Argentina did not represent much more than Buenos Aires. Entre Rios was Urquizas, and the other outside provinces had no great interest in the result. Nevertheless, the alliance was very advantageous to Brazil. It would have been well-nigh impossible to wage a successful war against an enemy shut up in the middle of the continent, and accessible only by a three-month march across nearly impassable country, or by tedious navigation up a single river running through a third country, and where an army would have to be disembarked direct from ships on the enemy's soil. The adhesion of Argentina made an aggressive war possible, and the event proved how hopeless would have been a campaign by Brazil alone. The story of the military operations belongs to the history of Paraguay, and only those events which bore a direct relation to internal affairs in Brazil will be mentioned here. The successful naval battle of Riachuelo on the Paraná, just below the southern end of the Paraguayan territory, in June 1865, aroused great enthusiasm in Brazil. National feeling was hardly cooled by the news which soon followed of a Paraguayan invasion of Rio Grande, and rose again with the defeat of that invasion. Brazil's regular army numbered less than 15,000 men before the war, but at the Emperor's call, 57 battalions of volunteers were organized in the fall of 1865. A loan of five million pounds was arranged in London, and no expense was spared in fitting out the army and in strengthening the fleet. By the end of the war, Brazil had 85 ships, not counting transports, of which 13 were ironclads. The voyage from Rio de Janeiro to Paraguay takes a month, and the transportation of men and material was tedious and extremely expensive. 
the government resorted to the issue of paper money and outraged the feelings of the financial world by compelling the bank of brazil to give up the reserve it was maintaining for the redemption of its note issue the premium on gold rose and the currency fluctuated wildly although general trade continued to boom in september eighteen sixty five the paraguayan army which had invaded rio grande was captured in a body and peace was confidently expected lopez however decided to fight it out to the bitter end and it was april eighteen sixty six before the allies could gain a foothold on paraguayan soil for the next six months brazil was sickened with accounts of desperately bloody and indecisive battles of which the last was an awful repulse before curupaite for more than a year thereafter the allies lay motionless in their camps in the southwestern corner of paraguay while the cholera carried off thousands though his favorite general marshal cassias was a conservative and not on good terms with the liberal cabinet the emperor insisted that he be sent to take command reinforcements were vigorously recruited from all over the empire and in july eighteen sixty seven the cautious cassias began a slow advance the expenses were mounting up to sixty millions a year the country chafed at the delays cassias quarrelled with the ministers in july eighteen sixty eight the emperor dismissed them on his own responsibility and though the liberals had still a large majority in the chamber called in a conservative cabinet on this occasion the emperor's pressure was not influential enough to change a minority into a majority and the chamber preferred dissolution to submission meanwhile cassias had at last begun to win victories the very month of the fall of the liberals he took the great fortress of umaita which guarded the passage up the paraguay and lopez retreated to the neighborhood of his capital accompanied by almost all the surviving paraguayans in november cassias cleverly outflanked him and taking him in the rear compelled him to fight outside of his trenches until hardly any paraguayans were left by the beginning of eighteen sixty nine lopez was a fugitive the brazilians were in possession of asuncion and the war was over except for pursuing lopez and the few starving soldiers who followed him through the woods elections were held in march but it was not worth while for the liberals to make even the show of a contest the liberal leaders issued a manifesto declining to take any part and censuring the emperor for calling the conservatives to power against the known wishes of the majority of a legally elected chamber announced that they would respect the laws and would confine themselves to non-parliamentary propagation of the doctrines of anti-absolutism liberalism and emancipation from this time dates the systematic propaganda for the republic the war ended with the emperor's son-in-law hunting down the paraguayan bands in march eighteen seventy lopez was caught with the last few hundred men who remained faithful and speared by a common soldier as he tried to escape through the woods the war had cost brazil three hundred million dollars and over fifty thousand lives she had gained no substantial result except assuring the safety of matu grosso and securing the free navigation of the paraguay the emperor did not attempt to use his victory by establishing a hegemony over south america rather did the end of the paraguayan war mark the beginning of a policy of systematic abstention from intermeddling with outside matters paraguay and uruguay were left in full enjoyment of their independence 
and the Argentine then began her marvellous industrial progress and political consolidation. The plate republics reaped the benefits of the war, while Brazil bore its heaviest burdens. Most of the Argentine provinces had taken little part except to furnish provisions and horses at high prices, and the opening up of Paraguay redounded to the benefit of Buenos Aires and Montevideo, not to that of Rio. No spirit of imperialism spread among the Brazilian people, though they are still proud of the record their soldiers and sailors then made. Their bravery in field fighting and the assault of fortified places was proved beyond question, no matter how poorly they may have been commanded, and how deficient their organization. The history of no war contains more examples of heroic and hopeless charges, or stories of more desperate hand-to-hand -hand fighting. But a successful battle was followed by torpor. Brazilian tenacity was shown in the patience with which defeats were sustained, and in holding on month after month in camp, rotting in the miasmatic swamps, rather than in pursuing advantages obtained in the field. End of section 42